This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 174. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so grateful that you are here. We have another Q&A episode ready for you. I brought my friend Kate Anthony along for the ride, and I wanted to let you know in case you haven't heard that my book that comes out on January 2nd, 2018, this coming January, called How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, is available for pre-order. So the link to go ahead and do that, you can find it at yourkickasslife.com forward slash, you ready? H-T-S-F-L-S. That's the acronym for how to stop feeling like shit, H-T-S-F-L-S. And also you can opt in when you land on that page to receive updates about the book. So there are bonuses that are coming soon. They're not quite ready yet, but they're coming soon. So you'll be notified of those. And I'm taking a little book tour around the U.S., hitting some major cities, and I am going to do workshops in those cities. So if you see your city on there, even if you don't, you can sign up for updates for the book. But if you see a city that you're near on that list or that you're in, better yet, if you're in that city, go ahead and check the appropriate box and I will be in touch with details for that workshop. They're going to be really small, you know, around six women, very intimate where you get a lot of time with me and they're going to be so much fun. I'm so excited to be able to make these stops around the U.S. and to be able to do that. And also, I'm humbly begging you (laughs) to pre-order the book. Pre-orders matter a lot. So a little insider information, you may have seen authors that you follow when they have a book coming out, they do a lot of book bonuses. And the reason that we do this is to entice people to not only buy the book, but to pre-order the book. Because pre-order numbers really matter to authors. I wish stats didn't matter, but they do to our jobs. (laughs) It matters. The more books we sell during pre-order, the better that looks to publishers. And the better that looks to publishers, the more likely we are to have another chance to write another book. So please, please, please order the book in advance. If you are a late adopter like I am, a wait till the last minute person like I am for things like this, I ask you to (laughs) change your habit at least this once and go over and pre-order the book for me. Please, please, please. I would appreciate it so very much. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I know so many of you have already pre-ordered it. The way that it works, to be honest, is when you pre-order it from Amazon or any of the other online retailers that you will see on that page, you will get it shipped faster than it comes out in bookstores. And although I do love my bookstores so much, it comes out January 2nd in bookstores. That's amazing too. If you go out and buy it that very first week that it's out, that sort of counts in that pre-order number. So either way would be amazing. I just, I thank you so much. I always like to be really honest and transparent with people and not try to be like, 
get all these bonuses and and buy it, you know, in advance. And I'm like, I'm just going to tell you all the truth. <laughs> the truth is these numbers matter a lot to us. So thank you so much for understanding and sticking with me in the podcast and through my book writing journey. I'm going to have a lot to say about that in the new year. I'm going to start talking about this whole process and what it has brought up for me in walking my own talk. And, you know, all the big gremlins come out when we do big projects like this. And I've been uh, really just sort of paying attention to what's going on so that I can share it with all of you. I know that my stories are helpful to you in going through the hard stuff just like everybody else. So all that being said, again, that link is over at yourkickasslife.com forward slash HTSFLS. And we have two awesome questions, which I'm going to get into in just a minute. Kate Anthony needs no introduction. She's been on here before. She's at kateanthony.com. She is my dear friend. I talk to her pretty much every day. And she's on with me to help me answer a couple of listener questions. And so without further ado, here is myself and Kate. Kate, 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 Kate. Andrea, Andrea, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love these episodes with my with my real life actual friends. Well, the last time you were on, we that's when we were talking about when I dropped the bomb on you about, or no, I had talked to you about it before, about me growing my hair out gray. Yes. And you're mad at me. <laughs> I was a little mad at you. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I did, one of the women on the retreat asked me about that. The the Channing Tacos and Transformation Conference asked me if I had decided about it. And I'm like, um, no, Kate's right. I'm too vain to do it. I decided <laughs> that I'm just going to go ahead and keep coloring for a while. But it's I'm still considering it. Okay. I did just see um, on – it must have been a Facebook ad. I don't know why it was targeted me, but whatever, um, about this model – uh, the model who's like 61 or something. And she's got this mane of glorious silver gray hair. And I was like, Oh yeah, I just, I I, exactly. So I just don't think that I think that that's what everybody wants, right? Like when I go gray, I want it to look amazing. And I want to be known for that. Like if I'm going to go gray, I'm going to look like ridiculously just awesome. I don't think that's going to be the case. Like, I think that that kind of gray that you're talking about takes a lot of maintenance. I don't Mm -hmm. think that that just grows out of your head. I talked to my hairdresser about it and he's like, no, it doesn't. Like you, you still have to come in for something. He said like there's enhancements and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I think that if you don't have like beautiful, glorious, gorgeous hair to begin with, when you go gray, it's not going to just like suddenly be that way. Well, by the way, you do have beautiful, glorious hair, so whatever. I do, but, but the, the texture is changing, so it's really – like if I let it air dry, it's oh it looks like an 80s hairband um, guy. Yep. It's yep. big and like like witchy. So um, Mine is just fluffy. It's air dried right now. I could turn on my – I could turn it turn on my uh, video and show you. It is air dried and fluffy now. Only if I can record it and put it – <laughs> otherwise we'll just be on audio um yeah so yeah i had you on last time we talked about that we also talked about anxiety that was one of my highest downloaded podcasts so i will link up to that in the show notes for any of you that missed kate and i many episodes ago doing a listener q a on anxiety this week we have like kind of two really different topics about a woman struggling with her 
husband who's, I'm not sure if he's an alcoholic. It's, it's, bas- it's the basic, like, should I go or should I stay? And that's the conversation I want to have with you about this. Not so much the circumstance. The circumstance mm-hmm. is important, but I think all people can probably, you know, have a time in their life where this is a struggle. And then another question about trust and surrendering to life. But before that, I don't know if I've told, have I told you the story yet about my dog? So, and and for those of you listening that don't know, my dog has become quite a hit on Instagram. So I, I just have my Your Kick-Ass Life Instagram account, but my Instagram stories have been taken over by my dog and her toy, her dirty baby toy, (laughs) just like this disgusting, angry bird stuffed animal that I named Dirty Baby. And it's like falling apart and it's so gross. And I'm like torn about washing it because if I wash it, then the stuffing's going to come out. Anyway, I told a story about my dog and her getting into the trash can and what happens afterwards. No, I think I saw something about it, but I know you've not told me the story. I don't know if I I don't think I've told this story on the podcast yet. I, I, I must have told it to one of my clients or something. Okay, so two part, two funny parts of the story. So my dog, we leave her in the house. Um, she's house trained. So we leave her in the house when we leave, but she suddenly started getting into any trash can upstairs. So she can't get into the kitchen trash can, but she was getting into the bathroom trash cans. Oh. Your dog has words about that. <laughs> dogs. So she's, yeah, she's getting into the bathroom trash cans, which contain, you know, gross bathroom things, dirty tissues, dirty Q-tips. And she's done it a couple of times. And so what we just started doing is, is just closing all the, the doors upstairs. So she just can't get into it. And it's been totally fine. So I was out of town. This is when I went to Montana and my husband, you know, doesn't, he doesn't have the habit down yet. Cause he's, it's, doesn't happen as often that he leaves the house and no one's home. So he forgot and she got, so he, he sends me a text, you know, cause Jason bless his heart. He always likes to give me the play by play of the bad things that are happening when I'm out of town. Like I can do something about it <laughs> because I am the operations manager of the Owen household. Right. Obviously <laughs> I can fix it remotely. Right. So he sends me this text. I was with Elizabeth Dialto and we're walking down the street. And I get this text from Jason and it's like, the dog got into our bathroom trash can and got into your uh, dirty feminine hygiene products. That's what Jason calls them. <laughs> okay. And the other funny thing about this story is my husband has a bit of a, it's not a period phobia. He's just, my husband isn't comfortable with like feelings in general. <laughs> he married me, <laughs> but he's uncomfortable with that type of thing. Like just, it just, yeah, he's a little uncomfortable with it. So it's hilarious that he calls it feminine hygiene products. And I was like, okay, you know, like good for Giselle. She's a dog that they're gross. That's what they do. So like, I I got home. It was just like a couple days later and he's like, comes in the house and, and we have, we're on an acre. And so we have a, well, my husband has a sit down lawnmower. So he said he was in the backyard mowing the lawn and that's where the dog goes to the bathroom. And he comes inside and he's like, so I was out there mowing the lawn and Giselle walks and steps like 20 feet in front of the mower and decides to take a shit. And I had to stop the mower. And as she's taking a shit, I noticed that something's coming out of her butt and it's (laughs) feminine hygiene products. So I was laughing so hard. I have, okay. And P.S. I have no idea if it's a tampon applicator or a panty liner because it could (laughs) Because they're all lumped 
together. They're all one. <laughs> so then he's like all mad about it. And then he continues to mow the backyard. And then he usually the kids, it's part of their choice to pick up the dog poop before he mows the lawn. But he said he ended up finishing the lawn and running over it on accident and it got stuck on the lawnmower tire. (laughs) So again, I don't know if it was a tampon applicator or a panty liner. Oh my God. I didn't even want to ask him because he would have had to like say it out loud. (laughs) Oh my God. You should have made him. Come on. (laughs) Oh my God. Come on, Jake. Say it. Say it. Say it. (laughs) My fucking dog. I, I, well, I was kind of worried too. Like either one that went through her system, like can't be good. No. Okay. So, so we're telling gross dog stories. So, so, well, first of all, like, no, they can't be good. I had a dog, um, my mom's dog, Lucy, she, she lived to be 18 years old and she was amazing, but she ended up in the hospital for four days with hemorrhagic gastroenteritis because she had a Q-tip stuck in her intestines. How do you even remember that word? Uh, (laughs) Or did you just make it up? It was, I was like 14. It was really scarring. (laughs) She had a Q-tip in her intestines. I could see how that could get caught. Don't forget that I played a medical professional on television. That's right. You did. (laughs) When Kate was on five seasons of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) For real. (laughs) I had to say really complicated medical shit all the time. Oh Um, my God. Played one on TV. Okay. So... Okay, Lucy so got that Lucy disease. Got that, but that's not my. That's not the story I really want to tell you. I really want to tell you Does the story it about my back. women's underwear. What? Does it involve dogs in women's underwear? Because I have a story about that too. Oh, I was going to skip that one. The number of, so I had a, well, this, my Basset, my Basset belly and Lucy, I think both chewed the crotches out of more pairs of underwear yeah, same. I could possibly name. Um, but my Basset, Basset hounds, you know, like they're on a scent and that is that, right? <laughs> and she... So I don't know. She had a really, they have, because, because of their elongated bodies, they have really sort of complex, um, digestion systems or something. I don't know their intestines or I don't, you know what? I don't fucking know. All I know is that my, she would get nauseous and she would lick like compulsively lick, 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 trying to like eat. And, and I guess it's their it's their, um, impulse to eat grass, mm-hmm. right? So if she was outside, she would eat grass, except that like, you know, I was, I grew up in New York city. So, you know, the dog was raised in New York city. So going, getting her to grass was not really an option most of the time. So she would just compulsively lick around my house. And if I wasn't there, she would just eat whatever was in her w- reach. And also she's a basset hound. She just eat whatever's in her reach, no matter what anyway. So in one of these compulsive licking things, I guess she had consumed a chiffon scarf. Oh my God. Like an entire chiffon scarf. This is the like nineties. So sue me. Um, (laughs) I I hear your brain going chiffon scarf. Like really? (laughs) So eventually she starts to poop a chiffon scarf out. And it starts to come out, and then she's running away from it because there's something long dangling. <laughs> magician. But, and she's like looking back, terrified, trying to run away from it, except it's like coming out of her, so she can't get away from it. So eventually I have to hold the end of the scarf. Oh my God, that hurts so bad for her. Or maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, it went through her entire intestinal system. Like, I don't even know how this happened. And I'm holding onto the edge, and she goes running, and it just, she, I help her poop out a long chiffon I'm going to kind of look like a cape. 
<laughs> An ass cape. Oh my god, dogs. Poor dogs. Oh, I, 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 I bet the stories that vets could tell about things that oh. dogs have consumed and yes, crotches out of underwear. And because that happened to same dog, my dog, because I went through my underwear when I had to buy bigger underwear. Remember, I, I told everybody that I had to go buy bigger underwear. You know about my whole underwear saga. Um, yes, I, I just did the same, by the way. Well, so. you know, what's kind of funny about that is that we will get to the content, people. Just give us a minute. So my underwear, <laughs> I didn't tell everybody this. So my, I kept wondering what was wrong with my underwear because it was like, you know, when somebody wears one of those like cute little triangle bikinis, but they have like a D or a double D boob and it just like isn't doesn't fit. That's right. what was happening to my ass. Like my underwear, they were like falling down in the back, and I was like, what is what happened to my underwear? Like blaming my oh man, my underwear. <laughs> it was my underwear's fault? It was my ass just gotten bigger and it just you can't, it's not contained in the underwear anymore. So I had to go buy new underwear and I was I was cleaning out my underwear drawer and I have thongs in there that I just don't wear anymore. I just have graduated out of that phase of my life. And I threw them in the trash in the bathroom and Giselle got into those and she ate the crotch out of them. And then I Googled, why do dogs eat the crotch? And then Google finished my sentence because apparently like everyone else is asking this question too. (laughs) I read one theory. There's lots of different theories. I read one theory. It's so funny that dogs love us so much that they just want to be close to us. And the closest way they can be to us is like to consume our scent. Mm. Hmm. Mm. Mm. (laughs) okay okay i know okay there are other ways we can go about that but okay i am now gonna ask jason if it was a if it was a tampon applicator or a panty liner because both would have been funny stuck to the tire of the of the lawnmower (laughs) the john deere the john deere by the way (laughs) oh my god i hope it was a panty liner and it just like every time the wheel turned it was like I, the funniest part about it was like how I I wish that I would have seen my husband's face because he's so uncomfortable with that anyway. I can just imagine he'd be like, God damn it. He's just stand there just like going, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> the universe is so funny. Okay. All right. Now it's time to get serious. Okay. Okay. I need like segue music or something. So the first question, we'll answer the relationship one first. And thank yeah. you guys for submitting your questions. If you have questions before I forget to tell you, you can go to the contact page on the website and submit your question for the podcast. This one comes from Catherine and she says, I found your recovery series compelling and now I know why. I am involved in a long-term relationship with an alcoholic, or at least I think so. My question is this, I do not know whether I should stay or go. I try to do research on a book to read and to get more information and it is pretty confusing. My therapist agrees that I should leave him. I see book reviews on books that say I should love and understand him and that he and I, codependent, can both heal. I do not know what book to read. I do not know what to do. I just know that my brain is a big ball of string when I try to untangle this and my heart is broken Mm. in pieces. Mm. I think, you know, first and foremost, my heart goes out to her because that is... It's the ultimate, you know, our, our spouse is, our partner is struggling and you don't know whether to stay or go. I wish I had more information. Um, Mm -hmm. I I really do Catherine. And I think the one thing I want to say, and we'll, we'll pass it back and forth is that, um, I, and I actually got this from our friend, Amy Smith has always said when she's giving relationship advice, like before you go, make sure that you, or before you decide to go, make sure that you have done everything in your power to try to 
I don't want to use the word fix, but that's the best word I have right now to fix the relationship, like to heal the relationship, to come out of the hard place that you are at. So if you can say that you have done everything in your power, then your conscious is clean and and it's time to walk away. So I'm just going to say that before I hand it over to you. Yeah, no, I agree with Amy. Um, Entirely. And, you know, I think more than doing everything that you can to fix it. So I think there's a lot of layers here, right? Um, In any situation where there's any addiction and, you know, we, alcoholism is a self-diagnosed disease. We cannot call someone else an alcoholic. So I actually really appreciate that she said, or at least I think so, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, it's a self-diagnosed disease, but what, what we can say, those of us on the other side is that someone else's drinking bothers us, you know, and that keeps it about us as opposed to about the other person. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Um, and there are, there is a, I would highly recommend going to, um, checking out some Al-Anon meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, Al-Anon is a, yeah, explain what that is for people that might not know. Yeah. (laughs) Al-Anon is a program specifically designed for friends and families of alcoholics. And it is not a program about how to fix the alcoholic, how to get them to stop drinking. It's actually not about the alcoholic. A lot of people I know who are in relationships with addicts are really pissed off at the idea that they have to go to meetings. Like, fuck you. He's not going, he's not getting sober. Why do I have to go? Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact of the matter is that those of us who tend to get into relationships with alcoholics or have some kind of alcoholism or addiction in our family lineage, um, you know, we kind of come by this naturally. We tend to fall in love with these people because it's, it's familiar in some Mm -hmm. way, often unconsciously. Um, and there's stuff and there's, there's work that we need to do, you know, to be able to be in relationship with these people or choose from an empowered place to leave. Um, so I would definitely recommend, um, here's, here's how, I mean, just, just a quick sort of primer on this is that, um, Al-Anon was founded, uh, when the wives of the alcoholics who founded Alcoholics Anonymous, um, uh, got sober and they found it when they found it, Alcoholics Anonymous, all of the wives were sitting in the kitchen making coffee and realized that they had nothing. They they didn't know what to do anymore. If they Mm -hmm. weren't trying to get their husband sober, they didn't know what they were supposed to do. (laughs) And then they realized that they had a problem. And the problem is really, was really codependency that our entire lives tend to get taken over and fully focused on the other person and their drinking and counting drinks and all, and we lose ourselves. We lose ourselves in the fear and the terror and the uh, crisis management um, and all of that, right? We don't have fun at parties because we're counting how many drinks they have. And at what point do we need to, uh, you know, get this, get him out before he causes a seat, like whatever it is. Right. Um, and we assist, we slowly over time lose ourselves in this. And it, there is a process of healing and getting it back, which can occur whether the alcoholic gets sober or not. Um, so I would highly recommend, uh, trying out some Al-Anon meetings. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the other thing I would say in terms of, should I stay or should I go? And this is what I work with my clients on a lot is that, um, the, should I, should I stay or should I go process should be, you know, there should be a long process of healing yourself and looking at your own stuff. And because, um, you know, as Amy said, you want to have done everything possible to heal the relationship, but the, the way into heal a relationship is through healing ourselves. And, 
when you do all of the work possible on healing yourself and keep taking the focus off of the other person, um, a lot is revealed, you know, and you may heal the relationship through healing yourself. You may also choose to leave the relationship, but at that point it will be so clear and so empowered of you to do so that, um, it ceases. It's not even a question anymore. Yeah. 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 I agree with, with all of that. And I think that it, it sounds like Catherine really wants like something to hold and, and read, which I totally understand. Mm-hmm. I'm that way too. I yep. would start with codependence. Um, codependent no more. Co- but codependent no more. And I highly recommend the workbook. I think uh-huh. that I have talked to so many pe- women, myself included. That was one of my very first self-help books yeah. <laughs> that someone gifted me. <laughs> Someone gifted uh-huh. me. You know it's bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, Andrea, me too. <laughs> I was still in my 20s. I was still in my 20s and yep. I was in my former relationship. I don't even think we had gotten married yet. And my my friend Linda that I worked with, she was the one I got. This is back when I was still when I was still a Republican. And she and I got in a huge fight um, about politics. And I was so mean to her and I had to apologize. Anyway, I was also codependent. And I she gave me that book and I still have it. It has her name on the inside. I, I think what I was going to say is that I've, I've talked to so many women who open up the book and read just the first couple of cha- chapters and they're like, oh my God, this is, mm-hmm. this is me because Melody Beattie has done a really great job of doing like checklists and bullet points and things like that. And in my book there, it's like highlighted in there some with like stars by some of the symptoms. And I think the workbook is invaluable of just mm-hmm. really start, like, it's one thing to read through it and go, oh my God, this is me, but it's, it's. I, I, I find it not that helpful to just read about the solution. Like I have to put pen to paper and actually work out my own unique stuff in order yeah. to heal. And then there's also, there's Codependence Anonymous as well. And that yes. was my first soiree into 12-step programs. And yep. the thing with Codependence Anonymous is that, my God, you put a group of codependents together. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, same thing with Al-Anon. It's so true. It's so true. Just be careful. Yeah. So I was actually going to say, you know, one of the things that they say is that you should try at least, I think, six different or three different meetings or six different meetings before deciding if the program is right for you. And I would highly recommend that because there are, um, yeah, (laughs) there are some meetings where you're like, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of, and here's the thing not to sort of malign it at all. Cause I will tell you it, it changed and transformed my life. Yeah. Codependence Anonymous was the first, uh, mm-hmm. my first foray into 12 step work as well. And then I moved into, into Al-Anon and, um, <clears throat> so, but I will say that, um, uh, I'm losing my train of thought and mm-hmm. like, my, I'm like, I'm like, my brain is going back to like, wow, I was in that program for so fucking long. <laughs> And all the people and no, but, um, one thing I'll say is that because it's, co- because we're codependent, right. There's a lot of people who want to be victims, right? Um, there is a lot of recovery to be found in those programs, but if you go to one meeting and you find a lot of victimhood and you find a lot of people talking about the problem, find yeah. a different meeting. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, there, yep. There are meetings that will be solution oriented, um, but they can be hard to find. 
Yeah. And I think sometimes it tends to happen if you go to a meeting and then one person shares and they're in that victim place, which we all have moments when we're there. And I think that, you know, yeah. you're allowed to have those times, but then it kind of becomes the theme of the meeting where it just sort of like trickles down. So it might yeah. just be that it was a bad night. So I, I couldn't agree more about go. If you think that this is a good meeting or somebody told you it was a good meeting and you went and it wasn't that great, try it again and then try mm-hmm. different ones too, until you find one that you like that, that, like you said, like seems to be focusing on, <clears throat> excuse me, the solution and, uh, you know, try to go all in, like find a sponsor, do the actual work. And I think that from there, because I agree, she probably doesn't know what to do. And the answer has not presented itself yet. And I right. think from there, she'll really start to heal herself. And I think also what it comes down to is I just want to say one more thing is that, that, I'm a firm believer of like for better, for worse, you know, in this, these are the promises that we make to each other when we do decide to, to get married and, and, and choose monogamy with each other. And I think that, but there comes a point where you have to know what your deal breakers are. Like, what is the thing that you like, like, like meatloaf saying, like, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Like, what is, what is your, your stopping point or the thing that if you compromised or if you changed would morally be against who you are and what your values are. And that is something that, 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 that's kind of a daunting task for me to say that out loud. That might be something you go through in therapy that you bring to your therapist and say, like, I've never done values work. Um, I don't even know what, what these like stopping points are, et cetera, et cetera. And go from there. Yeah. Um, yes, all, yes to all of that. Um, you know, and I also, and I also want to say to Catherine that, you know, this is something that, that I learned in Al-Anon and I didn't know this. And so I, I just sort of want to, want to say this is that it's okay to love an alcoholic. Yeah. And, and people often, um, feel like there's something wrong and that they shouldn't and how could they, but the, you know, the bottom line is an alcoholic is a human being with a disease. And, you know, this person might be, you know, it's very confusing, um, because there can be a Jekyll and Hyde quality to it. This this could be the most lovely person in the world when he's sober or when he's not in, in some state. Right. Um, and then the alcohol takes over and everything changes and it's confusing and it's terrifying. And you keep wanting to believe in the gold nugget that, you know, is in there. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think sometimes we think like, what if I just love him enough, mm-hmm. um, then he'll change. And, and, and that, that may be true. Right. Uh, but everybody's path to sobriety is their own. And, um, but it, you know, the, the real, the real thing is that it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's conf- it is confusing. I want to validate the idea, the fact that it is confusing, um, it, it, you don't, you know, should I stay or should I, should I stay with the person that I love or should I leave the person, um, that he turns into when he's drinking, right? It sort of becomes that. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it's so common. And I just, I just kind of want to normalize that in a sense, because I know that it can feel so isolating and terrifying. Um, and one of the first things that happened to me when I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting was listening to people speaking my deepest, most terrified thoughts out loud. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And the books uh, in that program, if you want a book too, you know, the the, the books, How Al-Anon Works, I had this experience with that book where I, I wanted to clutch it to my breast and hold it tight and throw it across the room at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, that's my experience with it. But I just really did want to say that it is okay to love an alcoholic. Yeah. <clears throat> Good. I, I, I hope that she makes some progress and ends up making peace with it, whether she stays or whether she goes. It's a tough situation. Mm. We wish you the best, Catherine. So Nikki has a question and she says, curveballs. Can you speak about how to deal with curveballs in an empowered way? I'm not Mm. even talking about major curveballs. So she says that earlier that week, she had a goal where she was trying to clamp down on for my business. Today was the day. Then the landlady knocks on the door to say that today is the day the guy is coming to paint. And sorry, she didn't tell me earlier. She didn't want to bother me yesterday. Then I decided to make a plan with a friend. And so I didn't end up sleeping in the paint fumes all day and didn't have to work in the chaos. And she says, the point is that day ended up being more of a tagging along doing my friend's errands, but I couldn't help feeling like I should be clamping down on the original goal that I had. Even though it was so serendipitous, it was hard not to go down the, I should really, I should really be working spiral. I'll be honest and say that some of my anxiety was due to the fear of lack of focus when I was not in my own st- in my own home, and this is true. I'm much more efficient in my own space and when no one is distracting me, and I'm still learning about how to put up boundaries when I'm with other people and say, hey, I'm kind of working, can you leave me alone? I am still learning how to not always be the accommodating rather than the decision maker. This is also not the first time something like this has happened where I decide today is the day for a new goal and boom, an unexpected curveball is thrown my way. I did better than I usually do, which is beat myself up for not getting down to the plan um, and spend lots of time in frustration and anxiety and victimhood about why does this always happen? I am tired Mm. of that and want to grow up. (laughs) So how does an empowered woman not go down the spiral and instead recognize what's happening when there is a curveball and use it efficiently? So thank you, Nikki, for your question. I I personally think this is two different, two different things. I think one Mm -hmm. of it is she's asking like how to have that hard conversation and set boundaries with people, like people that come over to her house. Um, and, don't you think like, am I, am I reading yeah. that right? I feel like it's two questions. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that the, I think the other one is probably is might be primary. Right. But, um, but yes, but yeah, well, I think it's, I, I think there's, yeah, I do think there's two things, right. There's how do you, how do you organize your time and your energy and your focus and maintain your focus? And then how do you keep boundaries around that? Right. Because, because, you know, stuff will come up and things will get derailed. Um, and how do you handle that in those moments, including with other, having boundaries with other people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think as someone who works from home, I would answer the second part of the question like this about being derailed and having things happen. I mean, this happens to me like on a fairly regular basis. So, um, you know, I'll get a phone call from school that one of my kids is sick and that, I have to go pick them up or even like that they spill got in the mud and I have to go to the school, you know, just like my, my, I I'm very organized when it comes to my, I've, I remember I've told you, Kate, like how organized I am with my tasks and yeah. everything. Like I always know what I'm going to do yep. the next day. And you're like, wow, <laughs> that was, that was, that was one of the, that's one of the things I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm very grown up in yep. that way, so but I get true. derailed, you know, and I, I have to be flexible. So I think personally how, and, and, you know, coming from someone who struggles in the areas of control is that 
I have to, because I find a sense of relief when I have control of my to-do list, when time goes my way, when I don't have any curveballs thrown at me, like when everything goes according to plan, I think is what I'm trying to say. So what I have to work on, and it's really just a simple question most of the time that I asked myself, and this is something I learned from one of my very first coaches, because I was all anxiety ridden when things didn't go my way or I, you know, like, or my babysitter quit and I had to find a new babysitter. I remember I had drama about that. And she said, one of my fitful conversations with her and she said, what if it wasn't that big of a deal? Hmm. And so she's not implying that it's not a big deal and not accusing me of overreacting. Maybe she kind of was, but at least she played it off that she wasn't. But <laughs> it was more of just the question, like, what if it wasn't that big of a deal? And that's that's sort of like what we do in, in let's just coaching 101, right? Is just asking yeah. someone the question, not so much for the answer, but them for them to try on another perspective, for them to try on the possibility that there might be another answer. So that's been hugely helpful for me is just asking, and this could be with anything. Like, what if it wasn't that big of a deal? Like, what if I just moved everything over from my to-do list to the next day or the afternoon? Like, will I be irritated? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Will I say some choice foul language? Of course. But it's really not that big of a deal. In the grand scheme of things, it's not. So for me, for that question, it's just it's just really looking at my perspective and just asking like, do I want to be upset about this? Do I want to be anxious about it? Like, it's really, it's okay. It's really not that big of a deal. So what Mm -hmm. do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really valuable perspective. Right. And then, and then the question is, uh, you know, is, is it, is it really that big of a deal? And then like, when you get sort of upset about like, okay, if I have to just put everything over to a different day, what do I make it mean about myself? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause that's where I go, right. Then I'll spiral into, you're just, you know, disorganized and you're lazy and you can't hold it, you know, and then it's like, and then it goes into just all sorts of inner critic gremlin nastiness. And, you know, that's what you really, that's what we want to look out for as well. Right. What, what piles on afterwards. Um, Because I think that we all work, well, and yes, because you might work differently, like from an organization standpoint than I do. So like the way that I do it might not work for you. And that's okay. Like I look at your life and I'm like, you have a lot going on and you get a lot of shit done. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's what I was going to say is that, you know, I'll often hold you up as an example. Like, so I, I have ADHD, which I've just sort of as my ch- as I've been dealing with the fact that my child has it, I've suddenly been like, oh, <laughs> interesting. And uh-huh. I'm 46. And it was probably like last year, maybe that yeah, I was I like, remember, I was like, hey, oh my God, I think I have this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my ex-husband, of course, was like, what? Um, Duh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, and to add to that, you're a single mom. So your schedule looks very different than mine does. Yes, it's true. It's true. My schedule is not, and I'm working with an ADHD coach right now. And so much of it is around the fact that my schedule is not consistent. Mm-hmm. And so building consistency into the schedule of someone who doesn't have a consistent schedule. Um, I mean, I, it's consistent, but it's not the same every day is what I mean. Right. So like, I know every Monday I don't have my son, but you know, Mondays and Wednesdays look totally different. And, um, I, you know, and I often, I would look at, I would look at your schedule, Andrea, and the way that you have organized your time and you organize your life and you wake up every day and you know, everything that's going to happen. And I would, and I brought that to my coach and she was like, 
but what would, what would you do if you did have that? And I was like, oh, I would immediately rebel against it Mm -hmm. because that's what the ADHD brain does. The ADHD brain is like, nope, (laughs) that's nice. Now we're going to do something different because as soon as I can, as soon as I even can like create my own container, the way that my brain works is that I want to break out of it. Hmm. Um, and it, and it, and sometimes I have to allow that. And sometimes I go, Oh, look at that. That's what my brain is trying to do. Yeah. We can't afford that today. Um, but the, the, I think the biggest thing here is about self-knowledge and knowing how you work best. And if you know that you work best from home and you need to be home and you need to do it, then, you know, when your landlady comes up at the door and says, uh, today's the day we're painting, you know, you actually are allowed to say, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I actually need 24 hours notice by law. And I did not make arrangements to work. Cause here's the thing. Like if you saw clients in your house, you would do that. Right. right? If, if there was a reason that your work couldn't be moved and scheduled, you would actually simply say, I, I I'm so sorry, but you didn't give me the notice. I need to, to, you know, reschedule my work. Um, and it's interesting that we make it valid for other people less than ourselves, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah, thanks for segueing over to that. And I, I think that that's the hard part that people don't know how to say no to. to yeah. And I, I, I have struggled with this so much and, you know, and like apologized profusely and things like that. And doing this work and being sort of a public figure has been an excellent exercise in having to say no to some people. And it is painful. Um, it's less painful now because I've learned to say it from a really kind place and know that if I said yes to everyone, I would be, I wouldn't even be half-assing it. I would be like an eighth of an assing everything. And so something like the way I would say is, um, uh, my schedule is looking really crowded lately and I would so love to be able to help you with this, but I'm right now I'm going to have to pass. It doesn't mean I'm, I would have, you know, and sometimes I say like, keep me in, keep me in mind next time. And only when I actually mean it, like if, if it's like a, yeah. uh, like, um, more of like an acquaintance colleague or something like that. And they're asking me to do something then I will, I will probably not say that. But if it's somebody that, um, that I'm a little bit closer to than, than I might, but it's, it comes with practice and it comes with also, really getting clear on what you want to say ahead of time. So that might be something to practice, even if you know, even if you don't know of a conversation that's coming up and it Mm. sounds kind of crazy, but I've, I know of personal development people that do that, like in their courses, they have people practice saying no and coming up with scripts to say no. So like if you, um, I know Brene Brown talks about in one of her very early on books about, um, she got asked to make like a couple dozen cupcakes for a bake sale. And I think it was like the following day or something like they didn't even give her hardly any notice. And, uh, she says that what she would do during those moments is she would spin her ring on her finger like three full times before she would respond. So it's just like Mm. giving her the opportunity to pause because our go-to would be to say yes and silently be like super pissed on the inside and fuming. And that's not fun, but it's just pausing to say, take a deep breath and say, you know what? That's not going to work for me. And you don't have to be sorry. <laughs> and, yeah. or you could just say like, that's not going to work for me. How can we figure out something else that, that will work for both of us? Yep. 
Absolutely. And wait for it to land. Because that's sometimes the hardest part is saying what you need to say. And then that silence right afterwards, because a lot of times we want to fill that silence with like apologies or backpedaling. Yep. Or running totally. away. <laughs> yep. <laughs> running and hiding behind a bush. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it really is. I love the idea of spinning your ring three times um, because it is training our brains because we do, we are, as women, especially, we are automatic and sudden yeses. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, it is really retraining our brains from a neurological standpoint to have a different response. And the only way we can do that is to, is to pause. And so if we build in that mechanism, it gives us a minute and then it becomes easier and easier and easier. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that they talk about in codependency recovery is the idea, like at first, when you first start having boundaries, they're like, uh, they talk about like detachment, detaching with love versus with an ax, right? Cause at first you start standing up for yourself and you can get really bitchy about it. Be like, no, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Right? And then That's like, not helpful to anyone. <laughs> becomes so, but like you're, but you're standing up for yourself and you're, and you're bringing the weight of all of the yeses to your first few no's. And it's like, you know, the anger and resentment. And so we really do have to do it with, with love, you know, as Amy always talks about, you know, standing up for yourself without being a dick. Right. And I think that that's where the dick dickiness can come from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of like the resentment of all the yeses, like, um, like putting your, the whole, like putting your foot down. Like yeah. You don't right. have to. You don't have to. You yeah. can simply say you can, like you can do like a soft shoe dance, have like a ballet yeah. slipper. Yep. Um, there's a great saying that's no is a complete sentence. Yeah. I wrote about that in my second book because I had an experience mm -hmm. with someone who was asking me for favors and she wasn't even really a friend. She just was someone that I, I had had one conversation with and um, I did not forget about it. And I was like, I don't want to, and I went through that whole thing of like, if I say no to her, am I burning yep. a bridge? Is she going to yep. think I'm a bitch? Um, I remember this because we like, talked we, about this. We network, you know, like yeah. even though we have online businesses, this is how we network is having these online friendships and colleagues and peers and, and yep. but I didn't want to do it. And so I ended up saying no, and it was a complete sentence. Sentence. I can't remember what I said. I just said, I think I'm going to have to, it's going to be a no for me right now. Um, good luck to you or something like that. And she came back and mm -hmm. asked me why. And that kind of surprised me. I think that she was not used to hearing no. And mm -hmm. I had a choice in that matter just to, you know, am I going to tell her? Because if I told her the reason, it might have hurt her feelings. Um, <laughs> I could say like, you know what? Never mind. I'll totally do the favor for you. Or I could mm -hmm. have like totally ignored her email. Or I could have replied and said, um, I'm sorry. No, I don't even I don't think I said sorry. I think I just said sometimes a no is just a no. And she didn't like that at all. Mm, mm. It was yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. And I probably burned a bridge and that's okay because I, that was hard. Like standing in, standing in my value of, of not compromising myself. Yeah. And I really had to check in with myself too. Cause I'm like, am I being self-righteous? Am I being, and I wasn't, no, and it really just I didn't feel good. I remember the situation and, 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 and the fact of the matter was that it was someone who was actually trying to take advantage of, right of you and your connections and friendship. And so not even friendship, <laughs> your, you and your connections. And so the, it, it, it was, pro it was a bridge that was probably not, um, I was blocking the building of the bridge. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. It, wasn't a very, it was not a strong, it was not a bit bridge built on a strong foundation to begin with. No. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I gotta, I gotta hand it to her for having the guts to ask such really, um, you know, courageous questions. And sometimes it doesn't work out and it, and that was the case for her. Right. It didn't work out. So yep, exactly. Yeah. But I, I want to um, just okay. recommend one book real quick. And oh, I yeah. had a hard time with this book, but Nikki, you might like it. It's called the surrender experiment or anyone that has trouble with, you know, what she called curveballs and, and mm-hmm. having things come into your life and whether they're small or big and just kind of rolling with the punches for lack of a better term, the surrender experience. Have you read it, Kate? No, I have not. Um, it's a little bit, how do I put it? The guy that wrote it, I I don't know. I, I would definitely check it out on Amazon or Goodreads and read some, read some reviews. It is all about that. And, and he goes to the extreme, like some of the things he surrenders on. And I'm like, kind of like, um, <laughs> never have said okay to that, but it's, it, there's some really great nuggets in there about just really doing life on life's terms. If we're going to quote 12 step, um, vernacular here, but yeah. it, it's about that. So it might be a good, I'll, I'll link up to that in, in the show notes as well as the codependent no more and the workbook. And, um, we'll even throw in a YouTube video of Kate's stint on Grey's Anatomy for everyone. <laughs> We might have done that the last time. I can't remember. You? You'll have to oh send me the link because I don't know where it is. I don't even think there is one. I could send you a Sesame Street link. That's oh, fun. yes. <laughs> okay. um, well, I, I hope that that was helpful for Catherine and Nikki. Thank you guys for sending in your questions. Please keep sending them in. I know that you all really like these episodes. I plan to do more of them as the year continues and into 2018 as well. Thank you, Kate, so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Andrea. I hope that... Um, Nobody was like super bored with our first 15 minutes of talking about dogs pooping out scarves and tampon applicators. <laughs> How could they possibly be bored by that? I, I have so many good stories. All right, everyone. Again, I'm so always so grateful that you join me here every week for an hour. So thank you so, so very much for leaving your reviews. I read them all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for sharing these episodes with your friends. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. <laughs>